Hi, folks. Welcome to Sounds Like Inclusion. Um, I'm Dave Thompson. I'm so excited to be part of this event. The purpose is to share ideas, experiences, and best practices with young people to wrap up Autism Acceptance and Awareness Month with the understanding that inclusion is year-round and to foster an ongoing conversation about why neurodiversity matters and what we can all do to be more inclusive in all spaces. And I'm Josh Mursky. I host a podcast with my friend Dave Thompson here called Sounds Like Autism. And we are so excited to have the opportunity to speak with this incredible panel about our favorite topic, inclusion. We are stoked and thankful to have partnered with Spread the Word, the Spread the Word inclusion campaign, and to be able to facilitate this really important conversation with such an awesome panel of speakers. And with that said, here they are. Um, he is this, he's a specialist at Unified Champion Schools with Special Olympics North America, Jerry Holy. I feel like a sports announcer. She's an attorney, author, artist, and autism advocate. That's a lot. Haley Moss, the host of The Aspie World. That's an incredible name. Daniel Jones, their Special Olympics North America U.S. Youth Ambassadors. Brittany Bautista and Savannah Rock, co-founders of John's Crazy Socks, John Cronin and Mark Cronin, the Special Olympics Latin America Youth Leader, Catalina Milnberger, and last but not least, the Vice President of Global Youth Engagement for Special Olympics International, and the co-founder of Spread the Word, Soren Palumbo. We are so happy that you're all here with us. What a group. I'm so excited. Give yourself a round of applause. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome. So with that being said, that, um, let's start off with um, Jerry. Jerry, you've been employed with Special Olympics for over 10 years and an athlete for over 22 years. That's a long time. Can you explain to us what you do with Special Olympics? And more specifically, can you explain the Spread the Word Inclusion Campaign? Definitely. So if anyone in here, I'm Jerry Holy. So I've actually competed as a special athlete in five different sports. So I've been involved for over 23 years. It will be 24 this year, ironically. So was named 2016 Athlete of the Year. And I'm also a graduate of George Mason University class of 2010. So professionally, I've been working with Unified Champion Schools for about 10 years. As in 10 years, will be officially October of this year as the school day is specialist. As for spread the word inclusion, it is continuing our steps through an ongoing effort by Special Olympics, best buddies, and our supporters to inspire respect, acceptance, by, advoca by advocating for inclusive words and actions so that we can end discrimination of individuals with intellectual disabilities. The campaign created and reimagined by youth is intended to engage schools, organizations, communities to rally and pledge their support for the inclusion and acceptance of people of intellectual development of this place. And I actually am fortunate that actually got the met two co-founders, Soren and Timbo Trevor, who I've been who I've become very good friends with as well. And it's been an awesome campaign and it's been an awesome opportunity to work on Special Olympics and the compete in Special Olympics as well. And um, while on that, let's shift over to Soren. Soren. Can you explain what you do with Special Olympics? And can you tell, speak out about the spread the word um, from your point of view? Yeah, I'd love to. And, and thanks, big thanks to, to both of you for, for having me on. Um, oh, at Special Olympics, I have, the, I have the, the joy of being able to work with Jerry uh, and our colleagues around the world. So Special Olympics, we do a lot of school-based programming. Uh, Jerry spoke a little bit to our work in the United States. But Special Olympics, we work in over 190 countries and jurisdictions. And in many, many, many of those, we do inclusive sports, youth leadership development, and community engagement in schools. And that might be schools in parts of Eastern Africa and South America, where Kalina uh, is joining us from. Uh, we have schools in India that we work with, all parts of Europe. And all around the world, all of these schools are participating in things like unified sports, which are sports that involve uh, players with and without intellectual disabilities playing sports together. 
and also doing leadership development together. So think of like a club in a school, for example. And I, I get to work with our staff around the world to, to make that happen. Uh, it's, it's one of the, the coolest jobs that I've ever seen. And I, I came into Special Olympics with a passion for this work. I have a, a sister with an intellectual developmental disability. Uh, so I grew up very close to both the challenges, but also the joys of neurodiversity. And, and as, a, as someone who's been close to it as a family member um, and have seen all the great things that it's done in our life and the challenges, uh, it's been a, a calling of mine to be able to work with young people around the world, both to uh, increase their skills for inclusion, people with and without disabilities, learning the skills of inclusion, uh, and also a greater and greater appreciation for the differences that we have that make life that much better. Uh, which I think is a core part of the conversation that we have here today, and was a big part of the campaign, the Spread the Word Inclusion campaign. So we, as Jerry mentioned, our campaign's been going for some time now, about 10, 11 years into it. And we originally started as a campaign around language, uh, specifically a campaign around the use of the, the word retard in English, and, and how much division that word sowed into school environments, workplaces, communities, and, and the pain ultimately that it caused both people with intellectual developmental disabilities and people who were close to them and anyone else who's ever felt excluded or marginalized. And so what we did is we wanted to bring more attention to this and position it as, as a teaching moment and as a learning moment for people to recognize how, how much our words affect others, uh, especially when we have a word that is so pointedly used to exclude people who are different. And so we worked through this campaign, Spread the Word to End the Word, uh, for, uh, since about 2009. And then what we noticed in the last two years is that we had an opportunity to bring this into the next level. And we realized that uh, while a campaign around language is really important, there were so many more ways that people could bring inclusion into their life and that there were ways that people could act for inclusion beyond just the words that they used. And so what we've done is we've grown Spread the Word into a campaign that calls people to make a commitment to act for inclusion, uh, to take a pledge to act for inclusion. We think that if people can take even just that first step towards being someone spreading inclusion, that, that's a first step that is extraordinarily valuable and won't be the last step. Uh, we think that once people get started, they will continue to do it because ultimately, and I'll, I'll, I'll finish here. Ultimately, I think that inclusion is a skill. It's like a muscle. It's something that we learn over time. We practice, we get better at it over time, how to be with people who are different from us, how to value people who are different from us, how to best give to and take from people who are different from us. All of these are skills and, and no one does it perfectly by nature. Uh, so we need to find ways to learn it, to practice it, to model it from people who do it great, uh, and ultimately be a model of it for people to learn from us. So that's what our campaign is all about. It's about building that skill for inclusion in schools, in the workplace, in the community, uh, both in the United States and also all around the world. Well, that, wow. That's amazing. That's beautiful, yeah. man. Yeah, I, I, I've obviously known about the Special Olympics for a long time, and I've volunteered all through my school days. Um, and it, you know, it's one of the organizations that's doing the really important and great work. But as of recently, ever since we've been working on this project, really started to pay attention to like the culture as an organization. And I think that yeah. it should really be looked at and used as, as a model for how uh, people should be thinking in an inclusive way. So it must be a really cool place to work, right, Josh? Absolutely. Um, I remember like a while ago, I used to like do the power lifting for Special Olympics. Um, yeah, it was, it was great. It's a really great organization. Um, and so on that topic, uh, so Jerry, um, could you describe for us what an inclusive workplace looks like? Uh, how can other companies and organizations strive for an inclusive workplace? So definitely. So the ability and talents are, all abilities and talents are accepted and everyone is valued as a, contributor, as a contributing person to the workplace. Everyone works together for the greater good. Everyone enjoys their coworkers and maybe even hang out with them outside of work. I've been there quite a bit. Everyone has a say towards a final decision 
and my sort of piggyback of how they can do it is basically don't judge a book by its cover, the old saying as it is. It's more about the inside, not the outside. So basically in saying see the abilities and talents, but not the disabilities. And value what each employee can bring to the table to be a successful organization company. And I think mean, John, John with his part doing the sock company, I think I'm I highly praise that. I really want to buy a pair of your socks one day here, hopefully. They're great socks. They're, they got lots of cool themes. Yeah. Yeah. Barry, we got to send you some socks. There you go. John, John and Mark are our neighbors. Uh, Josh and I work for an organization called Spectrum Designs Foundation in New York. Uh, that's a social enterprise that does uh, some work with Special Olympics. We do screen printing and things like that, and we gainfully employ uh, and provide vocational training to people with autism. And uh, John and Mark are our neighbors. There are uh, the other big social enterprise in the area. So, so Islanders. Yeah. Very so cool. New York represent. So Haley, how might social distancing be challenging for people who the neurodiverse population and what can we do to support each other right now? I think the thing that's probably the most challenging about social distancing is the fact that it completely upends routines. I know it's upended my routine and the routines of many other autistic and neurodivergent people that I know, because I don't think it's that the social distancing itself is a big thing, because I know a lot of people with disabilities like, well, we're already socially distant. We stay at home. We also struggle making friends. But I think that in-person interaction and that change in routine really is different. I mean, so I think that's when it's a little a little bit scary and uncertain for a lot of us as well. I think as far as bringing us together, I think it's important that we try to maintain some semblance of routine. I think it's important that we try to have conversations. I know that being here with all of you is a lot of fun and it's also part of that routine. And I, I look at it as I get to connect with friends. So I have a couple new and old friends here and people that I've known through just the internet or heard about that I finally get to see for the first time. And it's also important to just keep advocacy at the forefront and make sure that people still know what we're doing, that we still care and that our community is still here and that we're essential and continue to be part of the conversation. Well, in my case of, with the social distancing, it's getting kind of hard with some of my, with some of my friends who I've made outside of work and for working out in special events. It's been very well mm -hmm. by a lot of people. Yeah, that, that, that's very true. Um, very true. I know a lot of my colleagues at um, Spectrum um, it's like some of them is the only place where they really like get like in-person socialization to that level so it, it does affect that. So is school for for many people. Uh, mm -hmm. School is sometimes the the best if not the only um, real social center uh, within a community or within a young person's life uh, and so the lack of that social interaction I think is uh, is, is a huge impact on people. And then to take that one step further, I mean, the, the lack of services or sometimes the difficulty in creating a distance learning environment that can attend to all mm -hmm. the different parts of a neurodiverse student population is a huge challenge. And making sure that those who have special education accommodations are able to have access to them or able to get the academic support that they need. It's a challenge for all students right now, to be clear, but I think it's an especial challenge for, for those who, who are in uh, some of the more neurodivergent identities within a school setting. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, throughout this, even as we get to the summer and into the fall, that we not only get ourselves back in, in school settings when it's safe, but that we become better and better at attending to this, the needs of all of our students uh, through a distance learning scheme. I'm really glad that you mentioned that, Zorn, because I've noticed as well about different protections and what guidelines from IDEA and the EDA that people are trying mm -hmm. to waive and that there's a lot of struggle in providing special education services generally. So I'm really glad that you mentioned that. And I know that that's a huge source of comfort and routine and also assessing what your goals are. And I'm sure that with this, a lot of those goals might seem unattainable or have gone out the window or changed. So I think there is a lot of uncertainty, especially surrounding schools. Yeah, I, yeah, I right. help. I help run a, a, a decent-sized human services agency here in New York that provides vocational training opportunities to people with um, different uh, uh, people who think differently in general. And um, uh, Josh, I, I've, that's how I know Josh. I work with Josh. So um, one interesting thing we've seen, though, is that it's not 
it's not all bad is that tra transitioning to this virtual environment has actually been very liberating to a lot of people um, who benefit from having um, a 2D model to work with rather than a live model in person or being able to rewind and fast forward and pause and um, or be able to type rather than having to speak out loud um, has been has been really incredible. We've seen a lot of breakthroughs with that, which is really cool, which kind of brings Josh to your next question. And I yeah. know you want to talk a little bit about the virtual environment. So, Dan, this is for you. We are, we're all aware of what month it is. We're rounding out Autism Awareness and Acceptance Month. You've been involved in autism advocacy for a long time under the awesome moniker, the Ask the World on social media. And we absolutely love your fresh approach. We really do. What's um, exciting about neurodiversity and how can we work towards a more inclusive world during April and beyond? Thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, thanks so much for the kind words about the channel. Um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of funny. One of the big things I try to do is I try to create um, a more accepting world, um, an inclusive world, really, on, on, a, on a more societal level. So what we're trying to do is, like I briefed the European uh, Parliament uh, a couple of months ago on the fact that most of the, the major shopping malls and, and doctor surgeries and hospitals here in the UK are not set up to accommodate people on the spectrum, which is kind of crazy. You know, you go to a, you know, to see, uh, to a clinic to see your doctor or physician, about your condition, yet the building isn't accommodating for you. So some of the stuff that we're, we're trying to do and we're pushing forward within April is more autism hours within like the, the, the supermarkets and the shopping malls where they, they dim the lights and then they make more, more accommodating environments for people on the spectrum. But it really, I mean, I don't know why it really bugs me. It's just that we have to start off with an hour. I know it's like baby steps, but it really like, to me, I'm thinking, goodness me, why don't we just you know, why can't we just make this a permanent fixture? You know, we have to make it inclusive. And I always use an example of like, you know, if you go back to like, you know, pre-World War One, you know, if you were a wheelchair user and there was no wheelchair access in a public setting, then you would just, that's it, you would knackered. But if you fast forward to now, I mean, you'd get sued for not having, you know, wheelchair access. And, but now nobody really cares. If something's not accessible for autistic people, they say, okay, well, that's that. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to motivate people socially and politically uh, to take on board those and, and try and put through legislations like the autism bill here in the UK to make it like paramount for training for all uh, public service staff, uh, which includes fire, brigade, ambulance, police, and the hospital staff, and then uh, and schooling, public schooling, and then also uh, try to uh, make m more public spaces accessible for people on the spectrum. So that's kind of like the, the main names and that's the stuff that people can do. They can lobby those things with their local kind of like representative representatives and government to kind of push those ideas forward and, and get more people behind them. I, I think it's so important, especially to reach uh, the youth, which is what this is all about. The young people. Um, yeah, you know. absolutely. Um, yeah. Speaking of youth, um, Soren, can you explain a bit about what a youth ambassador is? I I can, and I am thrilled to then uh, hear from some people who are much better experts at it than I am uh, on our panel. Uh, so we, at Special Olympics, we believe that if we, if we do want to reach young people, if we do want to have generational change, if we want the future to be different than the past and the present, then what we need to do is not only empower young people, but then get out of the way and have them lead. Uh, and, and put them in a position and with the, the skills, the training, the tools, and then to have them go and do it. And some of our best examples of this in the U.S. are our, youth our U.S. youth ambassadors. Uh, so we've got two of them on the panel here with us. And I, I will mention that we have incredible youth leaders all around the world as well. And uh, we've got an amazing cadre here in the United States. Brittany Savannah are, are two examples of that. Uh, and their counterparts, their uh, the, the youth leaders who are in other parts of the world are doing just as amazing work. And I'm, I'm thrilled that we have a representative from Latin America here, Catalina, as well. Uh, so I'm, I'm just honored, thrilled, humbled uh, by the chance to be on the, the panel with them. But they are, they're doing amazing work within their schools. And keep in mind that for a young person, often changing the world means changing your school. Uh, and then taking that to the next level to also change school districts, states, countries. Uh, and these are amazing examples of it happening all around us uh, in different ways now, certainly, given our current circumstances, 
but in all the more resilient, adaptable, impactful ways. So that's, uh, that's a, a, just a brief definition uh, of what some of our, our youth ambassadors within the Special Olympics movement are doing. Wow, that, that's pretty neat. <laughs> um, well, since you brought up that we have some of them on the panel, um, um, Brittany and Savannah, um, you are, can you explain your involvement in Special Olympics as students? What do you think about the importance of awareness events like Autism Acceptance Awareness Month? And how can we get more young people involved in events like this? I've been involved in my state program since my sophomore year in high school. And currently, I'm a freshman at the University of Hawaii, my college. From the Special Olympics, I learned to embrace my disability and share my message of inclusion to my community. My favorite unified sport is track and field, specifically the 1500 meter run. The importance of awareness events like Autism Acceptance Month is to spotlight individuals with disabilities who are oftentimes discriminated in society for their facial features, personality, and abilities. It can provide a unique community opportunity where a community which was once broken in a sense can unite together as one since we are all humans at the end of the day. We can get more young people involved in events like this by organizing awareness walks or through youth programming in schools by creating unified clubs or programs in school where children without disabilities can go to the class with students with disabilities for a period and assist them and get to know them better. And I have been involved in Special Olympics uh, for a majority of my life. I'm engaged in many different aspects uh, through the future direction, so through the youth. Um, I am a U.S. Youth Ambassador, and I'm also a board member for Special Olympics Colorado, and I'm a mentor for our Youth Activation Committee, and that's just basically youth leaders um, all around Colorado to, that want to make change, that want to spread the message of inclusion. Uh, I also run a unified sports program through my college, uh, and the thing that really keeps me most grounded is the, my work with the athletes. Um, they just always inspire me every day. For um, awareness events in Autism Acceptance Month, we all know awareness is crucial. Awareness is the first step to driving engagement in conversations, which would lead people to take action to help solve a problem in our society, such as non-acceptance. You will, you will never get action unless you have awareness. Awareness events are very important. And how I think we can get more young people involved in events like this is we always see the feel-good stories and that creates an emotional reaction, which is a good drive, it's a good drive of spike to spike in awareness for our sustained awareness. And more importantly, like action. We need to continue showing real life, daily life of people with disabilities and we can see the great moments, the struggles, and so we can help make that impact. That's how I think we can get more people involved. So that's good. Yeah, really important. And like to get them involved, like all, all over the world, is that's great. Including yeah. in New York, like where our John and Mark are from, my fellow New Yorkers. <laughs> so John and Mark, the unemployment rate for People on the autism spectrum is around 85%, um, and now it's probably higher due to their current events. Many of the companies that do employ people with differing abilities have been shuttered due to social distancing. Can you tell us a bit about John's Crazy Socks and what your company has been doing to support your employees virtually? Uh, a quick thumbnail, John's Crazy Socks, what's our mission? That's great happiness. Right, and, and we were born out of your need to find money right. for work, right? He suggested it and uh, we opened December of 16. Uh, we've created a social enterprise and we've got four, um, four pillars to the business. Inspiration and hope. And give it back, Dr. Killer, make it personal. So for us, the core of what we do is it's that inspiration and hope. It's hiring people with differing abilities and showing the world what they can do. So we've got to hire people and then share. So more than half of our workforce has a different ability. Uh, we don't have original ideas. So we stole a term from the Special Olympics. We call it a unified workplace. 
because people with different abilities work side by side neurotypicals. And after a while, we realize everybody's got some differing ability. Um, we've adjusted during this virus period. Um, there are two things happening, right? One, our business is considerably slower than it had been. Um, so business is down. And while we've been allowed to stay open, we can't really have people in here. So you can see some folks working in the background here. We've limited the number of people that can work at any one time. Uh, we normally host uh, school tours from high schools and social service agencies coming in here. We host work groups. We've had to cancel all that. What we've done is move things online. Um, so we now do virtual tours online. We do regular staff meetings with all of our employees online each week so that they're staying in contact. We're rotating the people that come in and work so everybody has some opportunity to come in here and, and work. We're sponsoring a, uh, a weekly dance party, yeah. uh, right? Our, our mission's to spread uh, happiness. I, I, I'm a mission to spread happiness. So, we have dance party. So John hosts a dance party. What's more fun than that? Yeah, it's pretty fine. And we're looking and creating projects that our folks can do from home. So we provide, we're providing, for example, packs of cards for them to write personal thank you notes to our best customers. Um, so it's a way that we can push work out that folks can do at home. Um, those are some of the ways that we're adjusting. Um, and there are other things that are going on, right? We've just released our uh, Autism Can Do Scholarship, which is a $5,000 scholarship for someone on the autism spectrum to use for college, university, a job training program. Um, we do a lot of our products, you know, we, we bake giving back into what we do, right? So John's a Special Olympic athlete, 5% of our earnings go to the Special Olympics. A lot of our products raise money for charity partners. Um, and we've just introduced our healthcare superhero socks that are raising money um, for virus relief with the American Nurses Foundation with a hospital here in Long Island called Good Samaritan. Um, so those are some of the things that we're doing to adjust during this time for period. It's, it's part of the nature, and I know you guys at Spectrum know this, right? Of the social enterprise Part of our mission is to show that we can have a successful business because of whom we hire, not in spite of it. So evidence, you know, part of what we want to show other employers is that it's not altruism hiring people with different abilities. It's good business. I mean, I, I always say, you know, John's a nice guy. I'm not. You know, we're hiring people because we need good workers. Um, and, and so now, I think we have, to be, we have to be role models, to not be victims to the circumstances of the virus, but find ways to connect with our, with our colleagues, to connect with our customers, and find ways to carry out our mission. I agree 100%. Yeah. So, Haley, um, this one's for you. How has your work environment changed during these times? And how can we ensure we're being inclusive in the virtual environment? So for me, I actually traveled a lot for work before this. So I used to go speak, I went around the country. And right now, obviously with different social distancing and stay at home orders in place, there's no travel. I also think the most important thing is public health. And what we're seeing, at least what I've noticed is kind of the transition into virtual events. So things like this, which are wonderful, and it's great because I think they're actually more accessible. So I feel very hopeful about what's going on in the future of work. I'm working from home a lot more, and I think it's accessible to most people, especially people with disabilities. So it is inclusive because if you need to take breaks, if you need to self-accommodate, certain considerations that when I was in an office job that I wasn't always thinking about sometimes aren't really at issue. So I'm not thinking about how my former office would have fluorescent lights, for instance. I'm thinking more about how can I make sure that the information and education that I try to provide and whatever services I'm trying to provide can reach as many people as possible. 
So if anything, it leaves me with hope, but I'm also curious about how it's going to transform work going forward beyond this. So I think it's really important with the remote environment that we have so many new opportunities for inclusion. People with disabilities have been shut out of the workforce, especially because there are times when we requested reasonable accommodations and in a lot of other disabilities, not just neurodiverse folks, that people with physical disabilities, for instance, might have requested a work from home environment and have been told under the Americans with Disabilities Act that it is an undue hardship on an employer or it's not a reasonable accommodation. But in light of the pandemic, we've been seeing so many different work environments go remote and virtual that it really wasn't that much of an undue hardship or such a large burden because nearly every workplace in many, many different industries have gone remote, have gone virtual. So it shows how much is possible and it gives me a lot of hope in closing some of those employment disparities and gaps for people who are on the spectrum or have intellectual and developmental disabilities as well as physical disabilities. So I think honestly, it just gives me a lot of hope more than anything. Yeah, I wanna bring on uh, Catalina. We've heard from Dan from the Aspie world who's in Wales. And now let's hear from Latin America and from Catalina. Um, how do you work towards a more inclusive world? And how has that changed lately? We believe that inclusion is a daily work that you don't have like holidays, you don't have a stop and you don't have to wait for an event to be inclusive. So for example, if you are in a bank and you see that someone is being excluded or you see inequality and you claim for that, you are being inclusive. But apart from that, we believe that it's crucial to work with the youth because we think that is the power of the future. So if we educate with values and with inclusive objectives today, tomorrow, we'll have an inclusive society. So we used to work with schools. We love it. We did like a debate after watching a movie or a series. But now, of course, we can't because of the social distancing. However, we are still working on inclusion, um, especially from the uh, social media. For example, with Special Olympics Latin America, we planned different challenges to post on Instagram so we can spread both inclusion and hope in this moment that is not easy to everyone. And switching to Bernie and Savannah, um, how have you both worked towards a more inclusive world and how has that changed lately? Um, so how, how do we both work towards a more inclusive world? Uh, I seek out opportunities to spread the message of inclusion. It's about living the lifestyle of inclusion and spreading the message. It's about doing things like this podcast to create more awareness of inclusion. It's, it's about just having social media challenges, anything like that. Um, how it's changed lately is people have, people have more time on their hands right now because of quarantine. And using tools like Zoom and social media right now allows you to get people's attention and they can really absorb the messages you're trying to convey. So that's what we've been taking advantage of. Um, right now I've been doing weekly workouts with my, uh, with my teams and the youth ambassadors were doing social hours every week. And uh, they're also creating social media challenges and spirit weeks to get everyone involved and to really spread the message of inclusion. Britt, do you have anything you wanna add? Yes. I work towards a more inclusive society through my positive outlook on life and through past experiences through bullying. The one thing I realized about my disability is it's something that I can't control. I wasn't forced to live with my condition and I'm capable of a lot of things and every obstacle turns into a huge milestone and accomplishment for me. Due to the current circumstances, social media, and Zoom has been a great resource for me to connect with my youth ambassadors, take part in virtual Special Olympics activations, including these, and have some sort of normalcy. You don't always have to attend conferences. The simplest impact is good enough, and we can still share our vision virtually. Yeah, that, that's great. Um, that's wonderful. So uh, back to Jerry. Um, Jerry, what does inclusion look like to you and your organization beyond the times of social distancing? Uh, so I've 
picking back off of so many of our comments, I think social distancing has had its impact. Obviously, we there are some, especially amongst USD programs, who are moving to doing some virtual events as well. My state actually has a virtual fitness group, so like we're doing some fitness challenges stuff. But as for Special Olympics as an organization as a whole, Special Olympics will continue to push for inclusion ever, even after social distancing. And which I think this is just my thought, but maybe ours is social distancing and stuff has made everyone realize that we're all in this matter together and we must find innovative ways to push inclusion both physically and virtually. So it's kind of like that challenge. We're learning a newer element to how we could deal with the challenge. But inclusion to me is after all this social decisions is being stronger and better. Like my best friend and training partner, uh, Tori Martin, who I really miss a lot because we do love, we usually work out together twice a week and such. It's hard enough that not to see her, see each other, but obviously, but also we were able to talk to each other, but also seeing some of our friends who we've met for the gym has made it hard. But what I come out of this is also we're more well-versed to handle situations where we could be creatively incorporating virtual elements into staying in touch and having social gatherings. So social hours, virtual happy hours, virtual team meetings, you name it, maybe even a virtual pizza party one day, who knows? We'll all come up with fun, some fun stuff with, with virtual reality. And so I think we're all thankful that the technology is there but also we'll be still using the technology in after all the social distancing as well. I just have to say, I love the fact they threw in the pizza party thing. Um, I love that. That's it's going to be pizza. New York though. Yeah. New York pizza. Oh yeah, that's, that's the best. Oh yeah, I agree to that. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of pizza, um, <laughs> Haley, why do you think neurodiversity should be an important topic for all people to understand? And do you think society is changing their opinions on people who think differently? Okay, first off, I'm you got me sold on pizza. So you mentioned pizza first, but I'm going to stick to the neurodiversity <laughs> stuff before we get into our opinions on pizza, because I think the pizza panel would be the best panel of them all. Absolutely. Uh, I think the thing with neurodiversity that's really wonderful is people's views are changing. And I think that is particularly because of the work of autistic self-advocates and activists. So the neurodiversity movement has been keeping everyone moving in this right direction. And that's why I'm so glad that we are having this panel primarily with people with disabilities doing a lot of the talking. So that's what really changes attitudes because so often in this conversation, and I've been kind of shouting about it for a while at this point, is we see a lot of other people talking. We see the parents, the siblings, the professionals, we see them kind of dominating this space. And now a lot of young people are really taking charge and saying, hey, we're here. This conversation is in desperate need of us. It needs to include us. And if we're not part of our own conversation, why are we even bothering? So I think that's really great to see that change. So people's hearts and minds are changing because they see young people who are neurodivergent speaking up, speaking out and calling people in to learn more. So I do think that the landscape for acceptance is definitely getting better and it makes me very hopeful. I know I feel like I say that I'm hopeful a lot, but I really think the more that I see, the more I get excited about what's to come and I truly believe the best is yet to come. Yeah, definitely, the future is definitely looking bright. I mean, in, in um, this field. <laughs> um, so hey, going back to um, our fellow New Yorkers, John and Mark from John's Crazy Socks. We know that your business has initiatives to support um, the initiatives that create more inclusive world all year round. We obviously think this is important and it's why we started our hashtag, hashtag don't wait for April campaign. Tell us specifically a bit about what you do to support inclusion for people with learning differences. Well, first thing it comes in hiring, right? And that's, we focus right. on what people can do, not what they can't do. Um, you know, we know particularly with folks on the autism spectrum, they often are extremely talented, but can't get past the interview because the interviewer is expecting something different. We change that around in, in our interview and hiring process so we can focus on people's strengths. I, I think the core um, step we take is it's a welcoming environment that you know, we're, we're kind of like the Isle of Misfit Toys. We take everybody. Um, 
so that nobody stands out and everybody is welcome here. There's no segregation. There's no, okay, you have autism, you're on the autism spectrum, so you go over there and you have Down syndrome, you go over there. Everybody works together. Um, and one benefit of that that we try to share all the time is you, you might think the benefits mainly accrue to people with differing abilities, but everybody benefits, right? Morale is up, productivity is up, uh, retention is up, and it helps us recruit. There are things, and we've learned from you guys at Spectrum, right, that you make adjustments. If we're going to change, we know we have to give people lots of advance warning that we're changing a routine. We know, you know that, you know, for example, we make videos with everybody, but there are some folks, that's a big hurdle. And we let them handle that on their own speed. We don't force anybody to do something. Um, those are some of the things we do. Um, and then it's just keep sharing. Um, I, I think the more, and you know, and I love what other people in this panel are doing. The more you're out there and being visible, the more we change people's minds and we get to move from awareness to acceptance. You know, that's why the videos we make and the tours and the speaking engagements and the advocacy work are so important. Um, and, and one ingredient we have is no broccoli. Nothing that your mother says, you have to eat this, this is good for you. We want to show people as they are. Right? Does you know, that make sense? I think that yeah. makes total sense. And I think yeah, you I have agree. a really good inclusive work environment there. And I'm really glad that you also mentioned earlier when you were talking about barriers that autistic people and neurodiverse people face during job interviews and things like that. Because I often have to tell people about eye contact, for instance, is that a lot of interviewers think of it as a sign of, that we're not able to be trusted when really it's just it feels physically uncomfortable to stare someone straight into their soul. So I'm really glad that you mentioned it's the come as you are and we're not going to force anything. Because I think a lot of the issues that we see in hiring and workplace is a company culture thing rather than just necessarily that the autistic person or person with an intellectual developmental disability doesn't quite get it or understand. I think it's a cultural thing that because so Absolutely. much of the focus on training is on training us when really so much of it needs to be for the employers and the people who are already there. But let's hear from our um, international guests. It's getting late in Wales, right, Dan? Um, Josh, you have a question for Dan? Yeah, so Dan, your YouTube and social media pages have made a huge impact way beyond the borders of Wales. What can people be doing through tech to promote a more inclusive world globally? Thanks, man. Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, technology is breaking down the barriers because it's giving people access, like Haley was saying about like doing these kind of seminars. It's giving people a safe way to participate in, you know, conventions and different types of seminars. I think that's amazing. So technology moving forward uh, in promotion of, of this kind of like more accepting world, I think it's, it's being honest and sharing your kind of experiences i think you know we see that a lot now people are putting their own experiences online on, on instagram and twitter and facebook about you know how they're coping with neurodiversity or how they're coping with their job or how they're coping with relationships and and making community groups online like for instance our facebook page um has a group attached to which we made and that group alone has like four and a half thousand people in that group and that's kind of like a community group where people just get to talk and discuss things i think using technology as your new um information sharing platform is going to be as for like tips and hacks and you know how to do the, that is the, the way forward and that's how you can promote things i think you know and all, all i'm doing is i'm i'm telling people you know I'm, I'm highlighting to people ways to do that with with the advocacy work that i do and i think that's amazing and i think that is definitely the future um or, of, of that kind of parent support group or that like peer support group or even just a autism social group you know yeah, definitely. Um, technology is really, it's making things easier, I feel. Um, yeah, it, it, it just makes things more accessible. It's exactly, you know, absolutely. it does exactly what, what it says in the tin. Mm -hmm. yeah. And as always, disability tends to bring about innovation. And I think seeing this with technology is really great, too. And I know that there's so many ways to improve on it. And there's so many other different ways that we can make things accessible. So it's pretty awesome, especially getting to all be connected and people who might not have physical access to these spaces. So 
I know from my last speaking trip, I was somewhere and visited remote areas and they're like, oh my God, we're so glad that you're here. We usually don't get these things. And then they were also live streaming it throughout the state. I was in Alaska and we had people that would attend the live stream and say, we are so glad to have access to this kinds of resource and education. And it's like now with everyone doing virtual things, it's so much more accessible and it's so much more available to people who otherwise might not be able to travel or for instance, get on a bus or that might not live in a major metropolitan area either, no matter where in the world you are. Yeah. I mean, just looking at this panel, I know we've been talking about New York and Florida a lot, but being able to, to have someone from Latin America and someone from mm -hmm. Wales and us in the States and all different time differences in Hawaii. Um, mm -hmm. It's so, so exciting to be able to all be on the same page and have a, have a conversation about something so important. Absolutely. And it's not just in the major metropolitan areas. So you guys are in New York. I know that the folks from Special Olympics are in DC. I'm in the Miami metropolitan area. Like these are big populous places. Yeah. So it's really great having people from everywhere and being able to reach people everywhere. Yeah, the, the virtual lets us do that. So in the past two weeks, we've had given a school, to, a tour to a class in Kansas, and we've had people from Australia and Scotland attending our tours that we weren't doing before because we were too limited in our thinking, believing it had to be physical. All right, we have a couple more questions. Yeah, so um, time um, to ask Catalina, can you tell us a bit about inclusivity um, in where you're from and how people, what people do to promote a more inclusive world, not just during the time of social distancing, but beyond. Well, I'm from Argentina. Oh, Argentina. Argentina. <laughs> so okay. I qualify inclusion in Argentina with a 10, but not with a seven, because I know that we've improved a lot of things but I also know that we have a long way to go in inclusion. First of all, I would say the main, the main problem is the lack of information. I mean, the information is there, but I would say, I think that we need to take to carry that information everywhere with us. We don't have that. The information is in internet, so they will search and they will know. No, we have to take the them the information we have to sit and and talk about including about what is inclusion for you and what is inclusion for young people so i would say that is also the main solution if we carry the information with our own uh, that would mean that people would be aware of what is the situation of certain groups and in that awareness will wake up the willing to change that situation. So I propose that the information should be there and we should, in this moment of social distancing, of course, that social media would be our, our strength, but when we are in a normal moment, we have to go to talk with our families, with our friends, because we talk with our circle, but then that circles open and open, and in that way we can change a whole society. So I would say that that is the way to promote inclusion, just talking about it. Yeah, I like what you said about like the circle because it's a good visual kind of, because I know like myself and a bunch of people I know are um, visual learners, so like by saying that, they kind of like put a mental visualization in my head. Um, so yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you, I agree with what you say. Um, all right, so uh, to round this whole thing up, I'm gonna, each one of you get a chance to answer this. Um, what can people do from here on to learn more about neurodiversity, acceptance, and inclusion? Um, awesome question. Um, let's hear from Savannah and Brittany first. Hey, Britt, do you wanna do this one first? Sure. Okay. Um, in order to love and accept others, you have to love yourself Put yourself in the shoes of an individual with a disability. The way you speak to them should be the same way you talk to an individual without an impairment. In this situation we are in, everyone should deepen their compassion and love for others with doing the simplest gestures. Lastly, break the social norms and the status quo. Befriend someone who you wouldn't have interacted with in the past since there could be life lessons learned from each other. 
Good job, Britt. Um, that's an awesome answer. Uh, I would just say, open your eyes. We're all human. Follow the golden rule. Treat people like you want to be treated. Have actual conversations. Engage. We're all, we're all human. We're all the same. Yeah. I love that. Um, John and Mark? Everybody, it's, it's simple. We've all got something that holds us back. And let's just look at what people can do. It was so wonderful. It's in ourselves to do that. Um, and the world is so much better off when we do. I want to do something. You say something. Um, I just want to let you guys know that I have done it to him. Down the drone never hold me back. And, and I'm so impossible every day. And I'm showing the colleagues what I, I can't do, what I cannot do. And um, I was very fortunate. And um, I, I please here. Yeah, um, it, it's wonderful. Pretty good, buddy. Pretty huh? good. Yeah. Awesome, John. Um, all right. Jerry Holy? Oh, well, this is actually just sort of actually going with the this theme also sort of going back with the experience I've had with my different ability is basically the issue is most people, I think even some people, current dark states do believe normal oh, people with intellectual and developmental disabilities can't do anything. I disagree because one, I've proven I graduated from high school, got a college student, having to do a job. But I think what people need to learn more about is the person themselves and their talents, not judging them by their book or their cover. Because I've met so many people who have been judged like that, and I feel like that's wrong. You should get to know the person more, because then you'd be more accepting and more including of them. And strangely enough, one of my God, no, closer and strengths, my number one is included. So I believe in including everyone. You know, I don't care. I know you have different abilities or anything, but I include you because I think you could bring something. And that's more of my way of saying it. my version of inclusion and acceptance among neurodiversity as itself. Awesome. Thank you so much. Catalina, what about you? What can people do from here to learn about neurodiversity, acceptance, and inclusion? Well, I think the first step is to ask the person what they want to do, what they want to, how they want to be treated. Because sometimes we assume how the other person feels or how they want to be treated. And the fact is that we don't know that. So I would say that people from here, they could start asking and like see from the eyes of the other person, change your perspective and just think with sympathy. Awesome. Thank you so much. Haley, what about you? Oh my God. Well, everyone here says some really great stuff. So I think what's important, especially with neurodiversity and for people to practice inclusion and to learn as well is to pay attention to who you're learning from and also be mindful when we tell stories and when we learn from one another. So I think that's something that's really important to me. So the, again, the fact that you attended this panel and learned from mostly people with disabilities is so important. And again, we're human just like everybody else. We have strengths and weaknesses. We're not all devil children or perfect angels or we're probably like most people, we're somewhere in the middle. So we're people who have flaws. We have strengths, we have weaknesses. We are completely human. And I think it's important to acknowledge that about all of us. I know sometimes people think that's kind of a shocking thing to say, but we're not perfect either. And it's important not to just put us on the pedestal or look at us as people to feel sorry for. It's important to see us as human and completely full and to learn as much about neurodiversity acceptance and autism and related disabilities from as many different places and sources as you can. So learning from autistic people, learning from those who love us, who work with us, who support us, businesses, there's so many different things out there. And it's really important, I think, to be well informed. And also, it's okay if you mess up and you don't know if you're saying the right thing or doing the right thing that the right people who also love and accept you will call you in and you will learn to do better. And again, like Soren mentioned earlier, inclusion is something that we practice. It's a skill and it's also a mindset at the same time. So I think it's really important that you continue to keep that in mind and be kind to yourself while also being kind to others. 
That's awesome. I just want to say what you said in the beginning, everyone has had such good responses. That's why I have absolutely nothing to say. I don't <laughs> even want to try. Um, and with that being said, I guess, uh, Soren, the, the guy who kind of was so integral in, in starting it all, uh, if you could close us out. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, man, if we, I, I would love to just be like giving everyone a, a big high five right now. Um, that's one of the, the challenges. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, I think everyone has said this so well. I, I would add two, two quick things. One, one is, uh, this is, I, I know that it is the moment of, uh, of some uncertainty, some anxiety. There are some opportunities that come up with social distancing, but some real challenges too. Uh, we've talked about the change in routine. We've talked about removing some of the social structures and supports that are there. I think that this is a moment where we can also reflect on how we're going to build back better. And we've seen what it looks like when some of these supports are taken away. How can we build things back so those supports are in place? How can we make sure that our schools are more supportive and inclusive? How can we make sure that our workplaces really are taking from examples like ones that John and Mark have talked about, examples like Spectrum, examples like uh, Special Olympics as an inclusive workplace? How do we make sure that we're building those better uh, in the next phase of our country, of our world. And I think that now is a perfectly good time to be thinking about that. How, when we do go back to something uh, that looks like normal, whatever that means, uh, how are we gonna make sure that we're doing it in a way that's even better than what we left behind? So that, that's one thought, how are we all gonna build back better, especially in frame of inclusion? And then the other thought I would give, and Haley touched on this a bit, is I, I hope that everyone can go away and start practicing inclusion. And by practice, I don't just mean do, I mean, try to get better at it. Uh, this is something that is a, it's a muscle. And you can't, I, I do think that it's really important that we talk about this. Uh, and maybe this is just my impatience coming through, but I think it's important that we practice it. We can't, if we to use a sport metaphor, if we all sit around and talk about shooting free throws, we probably won't get better at shooting free throws. Like we'll know that free throws are there and we'll know that it's important to get better at them. Uh, but we need to actually go out and shoot a lot of free throws to get better at doing it. Uh, and then when we do, we'll get better and better and better at it. And I, and I think that inclusion in some ways is simpler, is more complex, is more challenging, is easier. But the fact of it is, I think that we need to go out and practice it. We need to go out and become better and better at engaging with people who are different, encountering people who are different, uh, colliding with difference and doing it in a positive way. Uh, I think mm -hmm. that we can, each one of us collides with difference all the time, whether we talk about it in a neurodivergent frame or, uh, or any other frame that we live with in life. And I think that this is where we can find more opportunities to practice it. We can find the tools to learn and do it better. Uh, and we can find the coaches and the mentors and we ourselves can be coaches and mentors to help other people do it. So I think that that's, that's what I would take away from this. I hope that uh, whether it's in a socially distanced environment, whether it's a, uh, the future environment that each one of us takes upon ourselves to, to really commit to practicing inclusion and bringing those in our community along to practice it as well. That is awesome. Thank you yeah. so much, Soren. Yeah, um, I, I gotta say this, this has been incredible. Um, as I know I'm um, speaking like, like Dave, I know you would agree. Um, it's been an honor to um, be able to host this amazing panel so yeah, yeah um, thank you all for coming yeah and a huge a huge thanks to to spread the word and to the special olympics yeah. for uh collaborating with us on this on this project it's been it's been really awesome uh josh you want to share with everyone how they can find more about sounds like autism absolutely <laughs> marketing's my thing all right so you can find out more about sounds like autism by um so following us on Instagram, sounds like autism when you see the little um, logo like that, that's us. Um, follow us on Facebook, again, sounds like autism. Um, we have websites, sounds like autism.com, uh, where you can find on there a link to our TEDx talk, amongst other things, and pretty cool stuff. Um, and um, also, just got those out there, got those out there. We have shirts and hats, which are really cool. And um, yeah, so. Just got that out there, marketing thing. And where can they listen to the podcast? What about the yeah, podcast? And the podcast. Oh my God! And the podcast. <laughs> anywhere you get, anywhere you get podcasts, you know, like iTunes or Spotify or whatever. Um, sounds like autism. Yeah. Yeah, and 
and please uh, follow Pledge to Include on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook at Pledge to Include to follow uh, the Spread the Word campaign. Um, and www.spreadtheword.global. Oh, you forgot our hashtag. Hashtag. Um, don't wait for don't April. Wait for April. <laughs> because inclusion Josh, matters all year round. Hashtag pledge to include for all of, all of our posting about this event today. Um, thank you so much, everybody. This has been a real honor and a privilege to be able to gather such an awesome group of people from around the world. Truly, this is yes. huge honor. Huge honor. Um, it's an absolute pleasure talking with all of you. Um, and yeah, I, I I just I know that all of us are definitely going to like continue to change the world. And once this whole thing blows over. So um, it's mm -hmm. truly been an honor to talk to all of you um, influencers. I truly think we could be called influencers at this point. So, Thank you so much.